So there I was, East Texas. I didn't go to Bible college. I was trained by a carpenter. And I was a city boy. I was a banker's son. I came from privilege. And here I am in what would be described as a redneck's heaven, East Texas, where the pine trees are over 120 feet tall and the sand. Did I hear a yee yee? My people who are called by my name. East Texas is where I was trained. Places like Bastrop and Kennard, places like Livingston and on Alaska. Not Alaska. We put the on 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 Alaska. We put the hunt in Huntsville. Places like Cut and Shoot. So there I was, I was being trained and I was a soft city boy with soft hands and I was being trained by a master carpenter and I learned what the push broom was really fast. And he sent me into the job box for things called pipe stretchers. Somebody got it, somebody got it. A pipe stretcher doesn't exist, folks. You find something that can stretch pipe that's not real. He also sent me into the job box for sky hooks. They have chains on them. You throw them up into the sky and you can fix the boards. That doesn't exist also. But I, by doing this, he was teaching me every single tool in the box. Plumb bobs and rafter angles and miter saws and jigsaws and chop saws and all kinds of saws, mortise and bits, chisels, hammers, framing nailers. Those are fun. You can pull the safety back and shoot people. Ask me how I know. But it was a great experience. For one day in particular, it was a hot July day, and, and back when lumber was literally not, you know, $40 a foot, we were... <laughs> We were cutting rafter tails, and at this time, I could only do straight cuts. I could cut it straight, here it is. But he goes, hey, cut me some rafter tails, and make them common cuts, which to me weren't that common, carpenters will get that, and, and make it like a 412 rafter and put a bird's mouth in it. And I'm like, you are speaking Japanese. And he's at the top of the rafters, and there's air hoses, and there's scaffolding. He's all the way up there, and I'm down low cutting. And I'm like, what? Ah. And after I cut one board wrong, I cut another board wrong. And, another, and then pretty soon, the sanctification of the master carpenter, he's mad. He's like, what are you doing? And so he climbs down the scaffolding real fast, and he goes, you do what I do. I'll never forget this moment. You do what I do. You watch and he makes the angle, and he makes the cut. You see, the master showed the apprentice. The master modeled, and the apprentice watched and followed suit. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to look at how the master modeled his ministry. We're going to be looking this morning, and if it's okay with you, I'm going to get back to my roots. Now, some of you who were at the movie theater, who was there? Anybody? A couple of people. You know old Kyle. 
didn't have notes. I didn't have collared shirts. I was a little spicy. Can we get that way? Now, do you want jalapenos or habaneros? Which one? She's like, ah, I'm new. We have first-time guest bags. Welcome to church. But we're going to get spicy this morning, and that's okay. Because the church of Jesus Christ is doing everything but the ministry of Jesus. We have to do what Jesus did to see what Jesus saw. And so it's simply a refocus, a a reformation, if you will, getting back to what Jesus did. That sounds like a pretty simple idea. But right now, the church is doing anything but the ministry of Jesus. Now, I'm not just picking on Gateway. I'm talking about the capital C church in our nation. We're doing anything but. Singles ministry? Yes, we got it. Laser beams, fog machines for college students? We got that. Quilting for Christ? Kayaks for the king? Cookie crusades? We have it all. We even have our own Boy Scouts for Jesus. The church is doing everything but the ministry of Jesus. When I describe the ministry of Jesus, I want you to think about the doctor, the great doctor of our souls, the PhD, preaching, healing, discipleship. PhD. The doctor has come to teach us the ministry of the kingdom of God, and we must follow in his ways. Jesus was a preacher, Jesus was a healer, and Jesus was a disciple maker. This was his ministry. This is the calling of the apostles. This is the expectation that the king has for his bride. Turn with me to your Bibles. We're continuing in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the 10th chapter in a wonderful series studying the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God found through Matthew the Apostle. Read with me. Uh, We're going to go ahead and we're going to read together. Uh, We're going to read together verse 7 of Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this should bring some uh, alerts to your mind. You should say, hey, wait a second, I've heard this before. This is actually how Jesus started his ministry. Jesus comes on the scene. There's a, there's a virgin is born with a child miraculously. We celebrate this every Christmas. And, but for 30 years, there's silence. We don't know anything about the carpenter and how he was raised. Scripture is silent. But now coming on the scenes, Jesus begins his public ministry, and he didn't say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not how he started. That's not his words. That's hallmark. Jesus starts with repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus started his ministry preaching Repentance, And now he did that in Galilee, which is a small section 
It's about five little tiny towns on the North Sea of Galilee, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, all these tiny little towns, and he starts his ministry there, speaking to the religious Jews there. Then a couple of chapters later, now his ministry begins to expand to all the cities. Now he's going to Decapolis and Gershom. He's going to Tyre and Sidon. He's going to the Syrophoenicians and the Canaanites and the Romans and the Herodians. He's expanding the boundaries of his kingdom. And now, the significance of Matthew chapter 10 is when the ministry of Jesus is now being delegated and communicated and passed on to disciples. It goes from one man, now there's 12 men doing the exact same. And then the 12 leads to the 70, and the 70 leads to the 120, and the 120 leads to the 500. But he gave them the same ministry. As I do, you do likewise. The servant shall be like the master. Hold the board like this. Cut the board like this. You have to understand, if we say that we're followers of Jesus, it means we actually have to follow him into his ministry. If we say that we're following Jesus, you know, we should stop calling ourselves Christians and start saying, I'm a follower. Because that means we're really actually walking. We have to walk his walk, talk his walk. That means that what he did, we have to do. Jesus looks at his disciples and says the most incredible statement in the history of all statements. Greater works will you do now that I go to be with my father. That should be like a neon light bulb in your brain. That the expectation of Jesus for his disciples is for you to do greater works. That's his hope. That's how much faith. Did you know that the bride of Christ is God's plan A to reconcile the world to himself? Jesus has put all of his chips on you, on us. That we have the ability to bring the gospel into all the earth. Not only do we have the command, we have the ability, we have the provision, we have the know-how. We must have faith. We must trust. Jesus was a preacher. Now let's continue in Matthew chapter 10. As you go, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Notice he doesn't say pray for the sick. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Whatever I've taught you, teach others. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics nor sandals. Ladies, you can't bring all of your clothing. Jesus is teaching you. That when you go on your missionary journeys, small bag, small bag. (laughs) 
Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into the house, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable than Sodom and Gomorrah in that day than the judgment for that city. Behold, this is so important, pay attention. He never promised it was ever going to be easy. Pay attention. I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that very hour what you should speak, for you will not speak on your own, but the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Are you paying attention? And you will be hated by all. How have we gotten from this to what you normally hear in our nation on a Sunday morning? Does anyone, anybody want to sign up and, and raise their hand to be associated with a group of people that will be hated by all? But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you have not gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Lord Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to do what you do. We don't want to get distracted by all of the things that jockey for our attention, all of the things which are good things, noble things, virtuous things, but enemy of your best. Lord, we want your ministry to be our ministry. Lord, forgive us. We repent for putting things in the place of your ministry in our lives. You've called us to evangelize. You've called us to disciple. You've called us to heal the sick. Help us refocus as we commit to your ministry. The servant shall be like the master. As the servant is, so shall the, the master. As the master is, so shall the servant be. Amen. This morning, I want you to understand that Jesus was a preacher. Now, I got news. What I'm doing right now, I am not preaching. This is not preaching. This is teaching. There's a difference. We have to define terms. Now, how many of you love the movie Shrek? 
that big green ogre and the donkey and the waffles. You seen this? Now, there's a bad guy in that movie whose name is Lord. This girl in the front row, big fan. Farquaad, you have to, that's a crazy name, is the bad guy and the villain in the story. And every time Lord Farquaad comes on the scene, a little guy with a trumpet runs in and blows a trumpet and goes, boop, 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 boop. Hear ye, hear ye, Lord Farquaad is here. Now that's a joke. It's a funny little cartoon. But the little guy with the trumpet, he is a herald. That's his role. A herald is someone who makes a public announcement on behalf of a king. It's an ambassador with a delegation, with a proclamation of a king. So, People of Holotus, Texas, I have an announcement. That would be acting and officiating in the role of a herald. When Jesus says preach, the word that he uses is carousel, which means to act as a herald. So preaching is a public proclamation of a king or a Caesar's message. And so the gospel writers, they took this language. In ancient times, when Caesar would win a war, or there would be an announcement, they would send forth heralds before the coming king who would make public announcements. So preaching is not education to the saints in a service. It is actually evangelizing the lost. It's proclaiming the death, burial, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to an unsaved audience. So preaching and teaching are two separate things. The problem is it's, it, 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 it's people put them together, but they're separate. They have two different audiences. They have two different purposes. One's for reaching the lost with the good news of the gospel. One's for edifying the believer. Now, I'll save you the time. I'll save you the time of reading 1,800 pages on the history of preaching. You can just take my word for it. It's in the first chapter. You wouldn't have to read 1,800 pages, but Dargan has a great work where he shows the distinction between preaching and teaching. The point of this understanding is this. The church is not preaching anymore. Preaching used to be common. It used to be commonplace. In fact, you know, preachers preached. The simplicity of just like painters paint and plumbers plumb, preachers used to preach. That's why they called them preachers. Back in the day, 100 years ago, it was common. You'd go into town and you would see a public preacher preaching the gospel to lost people. Now, it's more common for there to be a pride parade in our streets than there is a preacher in our streets. If we do what Jesus did, We'll see what he saw. Jesus says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Do the will of my Father. Destroy the works of the devil. But I've come to preach. He stands up in the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me for one purpose. Do you know what that purpose was? To preach. Jesus was anointed to preach. He was a preacher. If he was a preacher, we must follow him into his 
method. Do what he does. And Mark in the 16th chapter, Jesus says, preach the gospel to all creation. That means even the squirrels. Because when you're starting off as a preacher, you're not any good and you're going to preach to the squirrels. That's okay. How do we know that's what they understood him to mean? Two verses later, it says, they went everywhere preaching. Luke in the 24th chapter, the subject that we're given, Jesus says, go into, into all the world and preach. And that in my name, repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That gives us the subject. Now notice, Jesus told them to go and preach repentance and forgiveness. In, the, in Mark in the 6th chapter, it says they went out and preached that men should repent. Now that's, that's not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. In fact, I have another wonderful book called The Apostolic Preaching, which has an incredible chart in this book. And in this chart, it has every single thing that was ever publicly preached by the, gospel, by the apostles. Everything that was ever said by the early church publicly is right here on this chart. And you can't find, I'll give you $500 if you can find something about the love of God. You know what they, were, you know what they preached? That Jesus is Lord and that you need to repent and believe the gospel and that Jesus died and was buried and rose again from the third day as God promised, as he promised through all of his holy prophets that this would come to pass. And not only has this come to pass and Jesus risen from the dead, but I got news for you. Every single one of us will stand before the judgment of God. This was what they preached, which is radically different than what we hear today. But we have to refocus and realign ourselves and get back to the ministry of Jesus. If we do what Jesus did, we'll see what he saw. Preaching ultimately is an overflow of the heart. The heart. It's as if God was reaching out through you. It's the ministry of reconciliation. That God would implore people on behalf. Like he's reaching out through you. It will cost you a lot. It, there's a cost. The number one cost for preaching is your reputation. The apostles considered themselves fools for Christ. Fools for Christ. The filth of the earth. The scum of the world. The few. Jesus wasn't just a preacher. It wasn't just a loud public demonstration of a, a powerful, convicting, repentant sermons. He also invested his life into individuals, disciples. Jesus poured his life into people. People mattered to him. He created a community. The 12 turned into 70, which turned into 120, which turned into 50. The cost of making a disciple is first being one. Jesus was in relationship with these men, personally investing in them, spending quality time teaching them, equipping them, building them up. He was leading a small group. 
It's terrifying to me that 51% of the church has not even heard of the Great Commission. We must refocus that proclamation and preaching the gospel was the ministry of Jesus, but so was discipleship. Jesus was a small group leader and gives us the great commission. The great command of the king is to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that Christ has commanded you. Now, to show you what we need to realign with everyone who has Nike shoes on. If you have Nike shoes on, stand up. You got some Nikes on. Some Jordans on. We got two guys in the back. Three, four. Nike is doing its job. Look at this. Thank. Yes, yes, yes. Way more than first service. You guys are the cool service. First service, old fogies. Y'all can sit down. We got Nike shoes on. The Nike shoe factory money goes in. Materials goes in. People go in. Personnel and time. Wisdom and know-how. Now, what comes out of the shoe factory? It's not a trick question. You guys are smart. Shoes come out of the shoe factory. This sh now, what do you think if you were on the board of, of Nike and you said, you know what, I think we should invest all of our money into headbands. You're fired the next day. Pack your desk. You're gone. The shoe factory exists for one reason, to make shoes. They made all of their money by selling shoes. Now, let's talk about this. The, you know, seen those Alaskan king crab fishermen that show the deadliest catch? Some of you are like, you look like you got off that show. <laughs> that crab boat exists for one reason. Why does it exist? Are they out there for a good time? Is it a scenic cruise, one of the most dangerous jobs on the planet? They exist for one reason, catch crabs. Nike sells shoes. The crab boat sell, catches crabs. Now let's keep going. Coca-Cola has made its way into every single country, more so than the gospel. You'd be hard-pressed to find a village in, a, in the world today that does not have Coca-Cola. What do they do? They sell Coke. They sell Coca-Cola. It's not complicated. The church should do one thing. One thing. Not quilts for Christ, not bikers for Jesus, not singles ministry. You guys can meet out in the lobby. We need to do one thing, not laser beams and skinny jeans and fog machines. One thing, one thing. Disciples, disciples, disciples. Why are you clapping? No, stop clapping. Less than 1% of the American church has ever made a disciple. This, I want this to hit. I don't want you to be happy, clappy. I want you to go, oh God, am I doing the ministry of Jesus? I don't want you to be satisfied. I don't want the music in the lobby to be too loud where it's, where it's distracting you from this one focus. I don't want to bury my talent in the ground. So many Christians are going to, God did something in their life and they got saved, but they took a shovel and they buried it because they had a misunderstanding of the servant and the, and the master. They said, you, 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 you were a, a, a cruel servant, and I knew that I had, they had a misunderstanding of who God is, but if you have a proper understanding of who God is, you'll never bury your talent in the ground. Your talent is your life. You have eight hours of sleep, you have eight hours of work, but you have an entire eight hours every single day that can be put into people's lives. I'm not a wealthy man. But I have put my time into men. And I love them. 
and I will not face the king empty-handed. I will not bury my talent in the ground. Don't bury your talent. Be obedient to the command of Christ. Make disciples. But you have to be in a small group first. Someone has, shows you, has, just has to show you how to cut the board. The cost of making a disciple is being one. If you want people to listen to you, you must listen to people. Jesus was a preacher. Jesus was a disciple maker. Jesus healed the sick. He was the healer. It was kind of like there's all this peanut butter and here comes the jelly. In the sense that when Jesus was a preacher, he would say controversial things. They didn't kill Jesus because he acted like Mr. Rogers, folks. They killed him because he said things like, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He said, repent or you're all going to perish. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He says, if you don't hate your father and your mother, you can't be my disciple. He said things that were radical, revolutionary. But did he put his hands over blind people? And blind people saw, he put his fingers in, in the ear holes of, of deaf people, and deaf people heard. He, little, little girls who, who had, had fallen asleep and who had died, Jesus said, little girl, get up. There was a, a funeral, Jesus is just walking by with his disciples, and there's a widow who has one son. And the compassionate heart of God, Jesus raises that widow's son from the dead. You see, all of these incredible convicting truths was also coupled with compassion. Jesus came full of grace, full of truth. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that Jesus is a preacher. I want you to understand that Jesus is a disciple maker, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus will heal people today. He has given this authority to the church. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, now go. He says, if any, he says in the epistle of James, in the Holy Spirit-inspired word, if any of you is sick, let him come to the church. And the elders will lay hands and the prayer of faith will save the sick. You have to know this in your heart. It's God's will to heal. How do I know that? My Bible tells me that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And he went around doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. That means healing is always a good thing. And Jesus does good things. 
The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus so that he would do good, healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. That shows me that physical ailments and diseases are oppression. It's not the work of the Father. That's not a good thing. The Bible says that every good thing proceeds from the Father and comes down from the Father of lights. Paul says, I didn't come to you with long words, but demonstrations of the power of the Spirit. We're not supposed to pray for the sick. We're supposed to heal the sick. Standing in the authority. Standing in the authority that Jesus has given. Greater works will you do now that I go to be with my Father. But let's let the word of God speak for itself. In Psalms in the 103rd chapter. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all of his benefits. You who forgive all of my sins. Who heal all of my diseases. Who redeems my life from destruction. Who crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies my mouth with good things and my youth is renewed. Faith takes risk. But I see so many people, they're in a mindset of defeat. And they constantly, with anxiety in their own mouth, begin to confess or defeat over them. Oh, I heard about the doctors, and I have this, and I have this report, and I have this cancer, and I have this, and I have this, and I have this. My Bible says, let the weak say that he is strong. My Bible says that you have whatsoever you confess I'm not talking about power of affirmation or positive words. I'm talking about life and death and the power of the tongue. Jesus says this, you have whatsoever you ask. Say to the mountain, it shall be removed, and it will be removed. Say to the mulberry bush, be thrown in the, in the ocean, it will be thrown. We must have faith. Now, faith involves risk. Faith involves risk. It's risky to preach the gospel. It's risky to make disciples. And it's risky to, to pray for divine healing with faith and expectation. But I'm so grateful for Jesus. Would you stand with me? You must understand that the laws of the kingdom of God supersede the laws of the earth. Isaiah the prophet says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Now every Sunday since I've been here, we have preached salvation. And people have been saved in this church, countless Thousands of people have been saved. The same faith that saves is the faith that heals. The same faith. You're trusting Jesus. I'm trusting by your blood 
that all my sins can be washed away, that they can be thrown away in the sea of forgetfulness, that everything that was ever written down, all the records of my life, all of my mistakes and my sins and my selfishness, I'm trusting that the cross of Christ was enough to obliterate it forever and that it's gone. And now I'm clean and renewed and now you have made your home in me and now I have union with you that where you are I am, that I abide with you, that I have the mind of Christ, that every thought I'm now in intimacy with you. We're trusting for that. We're trusting for our souls. We have confidence in the word of God that the Bible is what it says regarding salvation. Well, my Bible says, I am the Lord that heals you. I am the Lord that heals you. And Jesus went around doing good, healing all those who are in good, healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. Now let's act on our faith. 